You're listening to Splendid Chats, recorded live at the New Ballroom in Melbourne Trades Hall as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival on the 6th and 13th of April, 2013. We advise there is some coarse language in this episode, mostly from Josie Long. Take your seat. Humans will be seated. Pre-show mode has been activated. I am your warm-up Dalek. My purpose is to prepare inferior beings for comedic recordings. this Dalek has been in. Yeah, it's a veteran. <laughs> yeah. done more comedy festivals than half the shows that are on this year. Um, hang on, John. Yeah, yeah. Where's, where's Petra? Yeah, actually, that's a problem. We can't go we without need, Petra. We have another host, Petra. She does the has announcements anyone, and stuff. Has anyone seen Petra? wearing plastic more than I am right now. You, you have come as a sexy Davros this evening. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Splendid Chaps. This is our fourth episode, uh, the episode four slash 
comedy. Uh, this Splendid Chaps is a podcast that we're doing for the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. So it goes on all year. We're doing one live show every month from January through to November. Uh, each one is recorded live with an audience. And then we release it on the 23rd of each month. And we focus on a different Doctor each month and a theme across the whole history of Doctor Who. So today we're looking at Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, and also the theme of comedy in Doctor Who. I would just like to do the traditional welcome of, of our people for a comedy festival show about Doctor Who. Knock, knock. Doctor. Yes. Yes. Okay. I Thank think, you I think now we can, we can continue with the show. We can. Uh, and that means that this time we're talking about Tom Baker and his era on the show. So, Petra, why don't you hit the fast return switch and tell us a little bit about that era. Today we're looking at the period of 1975 to 1981, a time when ABBA ruled Australia. All praise to ABBA! Praise to ABBA! During this era, a lot of complex things happen, often on gritty 16mm film. US President Jimmy Carter and Soviet Union leader Leonard Brezhnev signed the SALT II Treaty. Margaret Thatcher and the Conservative Party rise to power in the UK. And Spanish dictator Francisco Franco dies after 39 years in power. The Vietnam War, which has been hanging around since our first show back in January, finally comes to a close in 1975. 1978 is a big year for popes, with no less than three of them being released by the Vatican. One of them, a limited edition model that was only available for 33 days. In technology, the Sony Walkman was released in 1979 and the format wars erupted between Sony's Betamax and JVC's VHS, introduced in 1975 and 76. Two tapes entered, one tape left. Space Invaders was released in 1978, and in 1979, the Japanese Parents and Teachers Association unsuccessfully attempted to ban the video game for allegedly inspiring truancy. The Queen sends her first email in 1976 from a British army base. The full text of the message is unknown, but it's believed to include a winky face emoticon and the word lols. In Australia, we lose a Prime Minister, Butterfingers. In 1975, as Gough Whitlam is dismissed, our television goes colour and, excitingly, we are attacked from space. NASA's Skylab space station turns out to be more interested in plummeting than orbiting and plans to rescue it with a space shuttle mission, a foiled at the last minute by the shuttle being two years behind schedule. Whoops. Skylab crashed to Earth, but luckily it was in Western Australia, so no-one cared. Petra, thank you very much. I actually grew up in West Australia. I remember. I remember that event. I remember we were we were convinced we would be killed by by bits of space falling uh, on us. Were you? No. Oh. <laughs> Probably just as well. Would have been a great anecdote though. It would have. <laughs> yeah, my uncle was crushed by a space station. Why does everyone I talk about at the start of these shows sound like that? <laughs> I, I, I was also just envisioning when was that conversation happening. <laughs> More Gouda? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to now just fill you in and basically give you a bit of a rundown on the life and times of Tom Baker. Thomas Stuart Baker was born in Liverpool on January 20, 1934. His mother, Mary Jane Fleming Baker, was a barmaid, cleaner and devout Irish Catholic. His father, John, an absent Jewish sailor. At the age of 15, Baker left school to become a monk on the island of Jersey, where his duties included polishing the floor with knots attached to his feet. He lost his faith 
and left after six years. But the polishing provided useful dance training. He served in the Royal Army Medical Corps and the Merchant Navy and found his love of acting through Army Amateur Dramatics. He attended Rose Bruford College of Speech and Drama in Kent, where he met his first wife, Anna Wheatcroft, but soon dropped out. He toured in a variety of shows playing businessmen, bears, and in an Edinburgh review he co-wrote, A Dog. This last role led to a successful audition for the National Theatre, where he would rise far enough to play a horse. He worked with many great actors, including Laurence Olivier, Anthony Hopkins, and Maggie Smith. His first film work was an uncredited role in a 1967 version of The Winter's Tale, featuring Jim Dale. But it was as Rasputin in 1971's Nicholas and Alexandra that he gained recognition. The Mad Monk gave Tom two Golden Globe nominations and several other film roles, most notably the villain in Ray Harryhausen's The Golden Voyage of Sinbad in 1974. The role that convinced Barry Letts to cast him as the Doctor. Tom was the first Doctor not to turn the role down. He was working as a labourer on a building site at the time. In his seven years as the Doctor, Baker became a household name. Tom believed he knew the character of the Doctor better than the producers, writers and directors who only worked on the program for a short time and sometimes fought with both cast and crew, including Lala Ward, who became his second wife. It lasted 16 months. After leaving Doctor Who, Tom returned to the stage, played Sherlock Holmes in Hound with the Baskervilles, made guest appearances in Remington Steel, Black Adder, Roland Rat, and The Kenny Everett Show, and played major roles in The Silver Chair, Selling Hitler, Cluedo, Medics, Randall and Hopkirk, Deceased, Monarch of the Glen, and most famously became the narrator for Little Britain. He has returned to the role of the Doctor several times on television for the anniversary special, Dimensions in Time, the truly terrible video game, Destiny of the Doctors, and the Hornet's Nest series of audio adventures for the BBC. After years of turning them down, he eventually agreed to make audio adventures with Big Finish, the first of which appeared in 2012. Baker married his third and current wife, Sue Gerrard, in 1986. The pair had met years earlier when she worked as a film editor on The Horror of Fang Rock. They originally lived together in Kent, where Tom bought a headstone in the cemetery next to his house and had it engraved with his name. He enjoyed tending his own grave as a hobby. Tom published his autobiography, Who on Earth is Tom Baker, in 1997, and a dark fairy tale for children titled The Boy Who Kicked Pigs, in 1999. After moving to France for three years, Sue and Tom returned to England in 2006 and now live with their dog Poppy and two cats in East Sussex. He will next be heard providing the voice of Santa in the animated time travel Christmas film Saving Santa and turns 80 next year. And might I say, it's really delightful not to end the bio with a death. He is our first living time lord. It is true. Although I'm, I've always terribly worried about him because they are dying in order. <laughs> um, so I'm, very, I'm worried. I'm worried. So you, is Trevor Martin still alive? You, you make that sound like a sort of thriller. <laughs> <laughs> They're dying in order. Yes. Where's Jessica Fletcher when you need her? They're killing off the doctors. Oh, no. You realise the only thing I ever linked to all those people was Jessica Fletcher. Just putting that out there. Okay, so 
that gives you an overview. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, the 1970s era of Doctor Who and, of course, Tom Baker's Doctor. But we're not going to do it alone, now are we, John? No, because we need famous people on stage or else <laughs> there's no point us being here. Shall we have some famous people on stage? Let's. Petra, why don't you introduce them? Our splendid Japs today include a stand-up comedian who was a regular on Rove and can be heard at strange times of the day on Triple J. He's known for his tough nuts and his tiramisu-coloured beard and his comedy festival show is entitled The Psychology of Laughter. Our other chap also has a history with the Jays, where he presented Nerds of a Feather. He was a regular on Channel 31's Planet Nerd, where Marie Cardi referred to him as the hot one. Currently hosts ABC's game show Steampunks and for Comedy Festival appears in the sketch show Lords of Luxury. One of them was born in Dundalk, Ireland. The other comes from Sydney. See if you can work out which is which. They're Dave Callan and Paul Verhoeven. There was a bit of scarf fighting going on behind yeah. stage. That is amazing, by the way. Thank you very much. I ordered it from a guy in Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah, he promised it would look like the actual scarf, but not one of the Doctor Who scarves had this colour pattern. And I almost sent it back, but then I wanted to be... I didn't want to be that guy. At what point, though, do you become that guy? Because surely that guy who's ordering a scarf online from Glasgow in the first place is already possibly that guy before you've even become that guy. Actually, can I... I didn't have a credit card, and I was, like, 23 at the time, so I had to get my mum to buy it for me. <laughs> And I come with that guy who said, look, it's on my mum's card, but can you correct this mistake, please? You're hosting Steampunks mm. now as well, which is a show in which you basically wear a crazy outfit yeah. and terrify people inside a robot with a bizarrely bewildering backstory. Mm -hmm. Is this just your audition piece for Doctor Who? Yes. <laughs> like, they seriously said, like, what kind of a character do you want? And I go, can you build me, like, a TARDIS console that isn't explicitly a TARDIS console? <laughs> and can I, like, have an outfit that is very Doctor Who-ish but isn't explicitly Doctor Who-ish? And so I run around and I get to use the console and it's like, it's almost like the oldie of Doctor Who. That's sad as my life. Dave, have you auditioned recently for Doctor Who? No, I haven't, but I, I just want to say hello to Petra. Hello. Hi. You look uh, like um, Femme Davros. Yeah. I was going to say I look like I put on a bit of weight down the bottom here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for, mm. the, for the listeners, we should point out Petra will, for the rest of the show, be wearing the bottom half of a Dalek. And it, it does look like the worst game show idea ever. So, Channel 10, if you're here... Check it out. Did you know the story behind the scarf? They gave the costume lady too much wool. Like, they gave her heaps, just in case she needed more. But they didn't expect her to use all of it. She's like, oh, those bloody BBC people. And she just knitted all of the wool. And then Tom Baker was like, no, I will wear all of it. That sounded like Gandalf. Oh, my God, he was selected to play Gandalf, and he turned it down. Tom Baker? Yeah. Why you did know? he turn it down? Uh, he didn't want to go to New Zealand. <laughs> OK, I just want to say, though, the travesty is that he turned down playing Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, but he turns up as obscure cleric elf number three in the terrible movie Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. The only thing that's good about that film is at the end of the film, there's one title card where it's just got Tom Baker and uh, the guy from Rocky Horror who was in it as well. And Richard you can just... Yeah, Richard O'Brien. And you can just shout at the screen, Why? <laughs> Why are you in this? Just thinking of New Zealand, have you read his autobiography? Yes. There's a bit where he's in New Zealand and he talks about someone sending some drinks over or whatever. And he's going, oh, a tiresome fan. And he goes over and says, oh, no, thank you for that. And the guy goes, oh, you don't remember me, do you? He says, oh, no, have we met? He says, yes, I'm your son. <laughs> 
And three variations of that story show up in that book, including, yes, we were married for a time, Tom, oh. is one of the others. <laughs> so I should ask, yeah, you guys, how did you get into Doctor Who? When, when, when was that moment? Um, I was born in 1974, and so I was a kid, and, you know, um, the BBC used to play it... Um, after I would return from school when I was four or five. So I, I saw the second half of the Tom Baker era as my introduction to Doctor Who, and, you know, kids at school would be talking about it. And I have to admit, most of my time spent watching Doctor Who in that time was me burying my face in cushions and then kind of, like, parting the cushions to kind of peer out a little bit and go, oh, no, 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 no. Um, because, you know, despite, despite there being, you know, a lot of bad BBC special effects... They were really kind of unnerving. Even, even though they kind of looked fake, they were still unnerving, and I think the music as well was really, really powerful. Those sound effects were very abrupt and abrasive, so it was, it was utterly terrifying to my core, but I kind of loved it as well. I remember the first Doctor Who uh, I actually saw. It was The Seeds of Doom. Um, which is clearly a Pertwee story because Tom Baker just beats the crap out of people the whole time. <laughs> like, there's a point where he jumps off, like, a low-lying oil rig onto a dude and then the camera does a kung fu crash zoom as he just lands his... Yeah. And, then he cra and then he jumps through a skylight, throws a dude into a fireplace, and I'm like... This is awesome. I mean, it's not Doctor Who. Actually, I, I, I have another theory on that one because I love that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's actually an Avengers episode because <laughs> Robin Banks Stewart, who wrote it, also wrote for the Avengers. And at the beginning, basically, a man from the Ministry calls them in to go, here's your mission. And you're going, this isn't a Doctor Who story at all. This is that weird bit with the sword cane. It just makes no sense. Uh, but, yeah, I really, I, I really loved it. But I loved it primarily not because of the punching, although punching is cool if you're a kid. Um, but I liked Sarah Jane and he had this... Gorgeous flirtation. I think Sarah Jane, um, uh, the late uh, Sarah Jane, obviously, is the first woman that I absolutely fell in love with. Um, the next was Alanis Morissette. That's a big window. <laughs> I don't know what was that. It was like a gulf of just sexual vacuity between the two. No, it, it just takes a long time to get over Liz Sladen. <laughs> we could both wear the scarf, by the way. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this could be a villain in Doctor Who. This is how basic the costuming was. Oh, it's the twin-headed beardy guy. <laughs> Because of the budget back in those shows, I always just assumed British houses were very badly made. <laughs> and, and British caves as well. And sometimes some of the rooms didn't really exist. They were just green screened in. Yeah. Like every week they'd be like, oh, have we got a budget this week? No. Right then, we're filming in a quarry again. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Neil Gaiman. Name drop. Um, whoops. And I, I, said, I said, so you're running a new episode? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, did you set it in a quarry? How awesome would that be? And he goes, no. I already set the last one in a quarry. And he got really serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, just he, relax. He, he is serious. I know, no, he's wonderful. He was absolutely wonderful. Uh, he also, I shouldn't say this, but he told, I said, look, would you take over from Stephen Moffat if you got asked to be the showrunner? And he said, well, I mean, I've got, I've got lots of stuff to do and I'm very busy. And I said, but would you? And he says, hell yes. <laughs> Can you imagine a game and run Doctor Who? Some people in the audience don't seem to like that thought. <laughs> A little bit confronted. I can uh, also describe the plot of every single uh, Baker-era Doctor Who. Uh, basically, what would happen is they'd have to have emergency landing on a planet to repair the TARDIS. Then he'd say to Sarah Jane, Sarah, don't run off. And then Sarah would run off and, uh, and go, Doctor, look at this. And he'd be like, not now, Sarah Jane. And then uh, a wall would close and she'd be trapped in there. <laughs> And then she would declare, Doctor, I can't breathe. Or, Doctor, I can't move. And then um, he'd go, where is she? And then somehow he'd find a switch to release it. And then an enemy would appear wearing a bad mask and say, 
hey, I need you for my special plan I've had. And then they would uh, have to run away. Uh, you're sort yeah. of destroying my childhood there. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I was watching Ark in Space last night and almost all of that happens. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's pretty much what happens in there. I, I watched, uh, so I watched, I watched a bunch of stories to, to reacquaint myself with the era, um, and I watched The Brain of Morbius. And The Brain of Morbius has a lot of problems, uh, but it's a lot of fun. But every cliffhanger in it is basically, oh, spooky thing, spooky thing. Actually, it's not a spooky thing. Yeah. That's basically how they all go. The first one is Sarah draw back a curtain and there's a horrible monster with no head that starts squirming around on the bed and you're like, oh, my God, it's going to attack her. And then when you come back to the next episode and they come out of the cliffhanger, the monster just collapses back on the bed and she lets the curtain close. <laughs> Walks away. Done. Uh, later on, she's stumbling around blind. She's been temporarily blinded and she goes into the room where the brain of Morbius is a brain in a jar. And it's shouting at her and she's going, where are you? I can't see. And he's going, oh, you're a, you're a person. You've come to kill me. And, uh, and then when you come back from the cliffhanger, she just keeps stumbling around until someone comes in and leads her out of the room. She's like Carl from The Walking Dead in that respect. <laughs> so I was thinking that um, Elizabeth Slade was quite upset when they were filming Ark in Space, which was the first of the Hinchcliffe stories, really, because um, she, she felt that she'd gone from being like this lead who was quite proactive to being, you know, basically a peril monkey. Like, she kept being knocked unconscious and, and knocked out. And it was funny watching it last night going, well, she's kind of right, but the story's still all about her and she's amazing as an actor. Like, she keeps this such a fluid performance, finding stuff to do while, you know, being terrorised and, and, and all that. She is very proactive in Brain of Morbius. In the first episode, uh, they get drugged, the Doctor and Sarah. Wait, by... they, you mean they get drugged or they got high? No, they, to walk into the plot. they get drugs. They okay. get drugs. Solon puts stuff in their wine. and they, right. They're drinking wine in this strange man's house that they've gone into because it, it's raining and the TARDIS has landed on this planet unexpectedly. That's, that's Rocky Horror. It's, it's basically Rocky Horror, Horror. Yes. <laughs> They come in, can we use your space telephone? Uh, Do you have any tattoos, Brad? <laughs> I've got something on the slab. It doesn't have a head. Perhaps you could give it one? Uh, Let's do the Time Lord again. That's basically how it goes. No, but she's very proactive because they get, they get uh, drugged in their wine and the Doctor is knocked out. But Sarah, and Sarah seems to be knocked out and Solon and his servant, they take the Doctor away, they're going to cut off his head so they can put Morbius's brain in it. Um, but Sarah's only been pretending to be asleep and she gets up and follows them and then like, sneaks off after the Doctor when he's kidnapped. She works out where he is and runs off to the Sisterhood of Khan who are going to burn him at the stake and disguises herself as one of them and cuts his bonds so that he can get free. Basically, she does everything that's useful in that first episode. It's amazing. And I'm, I, was like, I wasn't expecting that because I too thought, like, basically once Tom Baker started that she didn't get a lot to do, but actually she does all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, I quite like the post-Sarah malaise, which lasted for, like, one episode, which is, I feel, an appropriate amount of time for a, like, multi-thousand-year-old being to grieve over a human who is just a speck in the ocean, <clears throat> Amy Pond. Um, <laughs> Since when does a friggin' immortal god go into mourning in, like, a cloud-like clock tower for centuries over some hipster bent in a miniskirt? Like... <laughs> That is such a stretch. But look, but that aside... I think, I think... No, no. the truth is he's really sad about Rory. Yes. Yes. What I want is Rory and Judy Dench and the Doctor and Captain Jack. Or just... How good would that be? Uh, and then he dyes his hair red and he's finally a ginger. Um, 
but no, the deadly assassin, which is just amazing. He gets pulled back um, to, uh, to Gallifrey and weirdly sees Colin Baker and they, they're like high five and they tag and he remembers his face for later. But all he has is this one adventure where he's alone without Sarah and he does okay, I guess. And then he picks up a, a cave woman and it's all good again. Actually, that's a big up the idea that I... Because I, I, Tom was in the role for seven years and I feel there's actually three eras within the Doctor Who era. So you've got the gothic horror period, mm. you've got disco aliens, and you've got <laughs> Grumpy. And I'm a huge fan of one and three. I love, I love Grumpy. The entropy phase, it's amazing. Yeah. It's great. But I was wondering yeah. what your opinions were on, on, on the ever-evolving Baker. What, mm. what do you feel? Uh, I loved him when, when he first appeared. He, he kind of, he didn't quite fit the role yet in his first episode. He was kind of trying to ham it up and be quite comedic. Like his first words in, uh, was it Ark of Space, the first one, or Robots? Robots. Yeah, Robot. It was, uh, <laughs> he just came to from lying on the ground and goes, Brigadier, everything's okay. The Brontosaurus is placid. And then he fell asleep again. <laughs> what a great opening line. <laughs> he, he grew into it so well. He grew into it beautifully and, um, uh, he's absolutely my favourite. You know, I mean, the, the doctors previous to him were all kind of wearing silks and cloaks and robes, and he just came along and dressed like a hobo, and I just went, yeah, I, I like this guy. But, you know, it was always very dependent on budget back then. I think he, he definitely increased the budget. His popularity increased the budget of the show because even during his era, they had problems like... The BBC had no budget for it, and they'd kind of go, oh, uh, what else has been made around... What's happening in Studio One? Oh, Franco Zeffirelli is making Romeo and Juliet. Great, we'll make a masquerade planet <laughs> where everyone's got ball gowns and masquerade masks, and we'll call it the Mask of Madagascar or something like that. Yeah, the Douglas Adams, Tom Baker, I have real mixed opinions about, because I love Douglas Adams. Yeah. Um, but the sec... I don't know, it's like this weird trough. It's like that bit in uh, The Temple of Doom where they go on to Ground. All of a sudden, it's all about Indy and the Orphan adventures. Yeah. And then he comes out in the mineshaft and everything's good again. But the middle of that film is irredeemably bad. Yeah. I feel the same way about the, the Douglas Adams era. It's still Doctor Who, but I can't look at it without vomiting in my mouth. He's got, he's got some great dialogue, though. Like, yeah. uh, at one point, uh, I think uh, Douglas Adams wrote a line for Tom Baker, which was, uh, can you please not step on my chest while my hat is on fire? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Oh, and there's that one uh, where he's in Paris, he's being tortured, and they put the thumb screws on him. He goes, oh, yeah. ow, what, does it hurt? No, your hands are cold. Douglas Adams actually talked in one interview, I remember reading about the problem with if you wrote any line that was obviously comedic, that the actors would then jump all over it and go, oh, it's a romp. Let's romp this rompy romp until it's romped no more. And <laughs> you'd have these terrible, terrible, over-the-top, comedy performances, which he said that you know, the, the jokes work best when they're played mm. serious. Yeah. It's that problem with that period where everyone is romping away. That's yeah. why I love that period where he's like, the bell tower's going again. I'm so old. <laughs> yeah. uh, Adric. Oh, piss off, Adric. <laughs> there is a bit of that. I watch, we watch Warrior's Gate and uh, just Adric doesn't even speak in the first episode. He just, in the first opening bit, the Doctor and Romana having an argument, and Adric just stands in the background going, why are Mum and Dad fighting? <laughs> he doesn't say anything. It's really sad. And then he spends his time wandering around the void flipping a coin, like he's, you know, lost on the way to an audition for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead or something. That's probably how he got the role in the first place. I listened to the audiobook of Matthew Waterhouse's um, the, no. the Boy with the Gold the Star. Boy, boy in the, the Boy with the chip on his shoulder? The... No, but the thing is, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Like you start off laughing at it right. to a degree because it's so purple, the prose. And you do kind of go, yeah, I can see why everyone hated you because, like, for a start, you've written your autobiography in the third person, which... <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he keeps saying, uh, and, and, you know, Matthew was thinking this, and then... Matthew uh, did this. Uh, Janet Fielding said this to Matthew, and he felt sad. Um, that, but, I'm paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing. But, 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 on, but on top of that, though, some of the dialogue is actually... I mean, I think some of his writing's quite beautiful. It's quite, yeah. quite well done. And he does give you this insight into that last year of Tom Baker, where Tom apparently was just, like, throwing sets around and just furious all the time. And if you watch, apparently, like, he's just angry, he won't make eye contact. And we, we did notice there's yeah. a lot of that period. He's not making eye contact with him. Even in Warrior's Gate, there's whole scenes where they're talking to each other and they never look at each other. It's, it's like, And it seems kind of cool and it makes him seem brooding, but then you realise why it's happening. It's not so much that it's scripted that way, it's just that... They don't want to talk to each other. Was it was it one incident? Did, did anyone ever know what, why that was the case? Or did I think they just... it was when they got divorced. Yeah. No, no, but they weren't, they weren't even married yet. They, they weren't got, even married they got, yet. They got, they got married after oh, that. Oh, no! Yeah. Oh, no, my God. It mentions in the book, everyone was ringing up, both of them going, what are you doing? No! This is a terrible idea. But, yeah. Yeah, never marry someone you can't make eye contact with. That's <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Unless, unless they don't have eyes. Or they're a cyclops with a bung eye. <laughs> and it just creeps you out. I like the fact that Lala Ward is now with Richard Dawkins. That makes me very happy. She is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was just waiting for more expertise. No, that's all. I thought, yeah, they deserve each other. I just imagine, I just, I like to, this, I just, um, I don't know what they're like in, at home, but I, I don't know what Richard Dawkins yells during sex. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she met him through Douglas Adams, who was interviewed about Doctor Who, and he was talking about his time writing it, and he was unhappy with how funny it God, like he, he's, it's on the 30 Years in the TARDIS documentary. He's there sitting there going, yeah, thought it would be great to make it funny, but it just got too funny. Mm. It's mm. too funny. There's some really funny bits, but like, like you were saying, that you know, when they played it straight was the best. Like, uh, I think it was um, Androids of Tara, I think, where he met Leela for the first time, and there was a prophecy on that planet that the evil one was coming, and the evil one was depicted as Tom Baker's yeah. face. Yeah. And he, he kind of turns up, and he's trying to calm her down. He's going, would you like a jelly baby? And she's like, that's it. You're him. They said the evil one eats babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's face of evil for you angry podcast oh. listeners. Don't write in. We know. Sorry, Bash. In my defence, I last watched these episodes in the 70s. <laughs> and yet you wanted to come. You said, yes, Tom Baker. Hell Let me talk yeah. on the, on the Baker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just think he's amazing. I mean, I, I was once watching a Sinbad movie and he turned up as an evil yeah. wizard. <laughs> he, I was not how, expecting that. It's one of the things that they saw that made him get the geek. Really? Yeah. Oh, so that predated Doctor Who. Yeah, not by yeah. much. But yeah, and yeah, before yeah. that he played Rasputin. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and he actually was a monk for a while as well. What? Yeah, yeah. he was a monk uh, from the age of about 15 for yeah, several really? years, and then he gave it up because he lost his faith yeah. and became an actor. Was he really an evil wizard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's also yeah. really a timely... He's oh. many things. He's a method actor to the nth <laughs> degree. The thing is, you could believe he's an evil wizard, though, couldn't you? Like yes. if someone told you Tom Baker really is an evil wizard, you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, certainly his voice sounds like it has power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. If people told me he was actually a marsh wiggle, I would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> just that scene where he just walks across the, uh, the hill and he's just yeah. grumbling incessantly. I think they were just filming him on his off days. <laughs> <laughs> he's just dressed like... as Radagast the Brown as well. He's wearing a big pointy wizard's hat and yeah. wandering about. Right. One thing I was going to ask about this period, because in the previous episodes we've, we've looked at and we've talked about how each period has actually reflected society, particularly British society, that's come out of at the time. And I don't know if I see that in this period. Do you think the Tom Baker years did reflect anything of the world around them? I think it reflected what 
was being filmed around the BBC at the time <laughs> that they could, they could borrow props and costumes from. I um, if I had, like, a better understanding of historical events at all, real ones, I would say, <laughs> I would say Remembrance of the Daleks... No, um, Genesis of the Daleks has got to have some sort of basis in fact. Like, it's all very dictatorial and moral imperative, and it's, it's, it's really weighty. Mm -hmm. um, I think the high fast is maybe because bad stuff was happening and maybe escapism was important, or maybe I should have done some research. <laughs> No, actually, I think the escapism thing might well be the point. I mean, it's the same period as Star Wars we're talking about as well. It may well be that people just yeah. were tired of things being all gritty and terrible and how awful the world was. So, yeah. so that's how you get space aliens and disco and yeah. you know, glitter and silver, everything. Britain, Britain was in a lot of turmoil at the time, as we, you know, you know, which was the genesis of the punk movement, but you didn't see any punks turning up in Doctor Who. Ace. Until the oh, 80s. Yeah, Ace, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a great story that um, Tom Baker and Ian Marta, who played Harry Sullivan, became great friends, and Ian Marta was a writer as well, and they wanted to make this feature film called uh, Doctor Who versus Scratchman, which is basically Tom Baker's Doctor fights the devil, uh, who has, like, demonic scarecrows that come after you, and they were going to be really freaky, and they were going to cast, like, this supermodel actress named Carolyn Munro as a companion, and they were going to do all these crazy things. That's Ringo Starr's wife, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, and they, um, and they were going to get money from George Harrison, and it was all go. They had, like, everyone was keen. Um, but then they, Star Wars came out, and they went, they got invited to a media preview, and they went to see Star Wars, and they came out going, we don't have enough money. <laughs> they, got, they got really sad and went, we can't do it. And they, they tried, and they just could never quite get the enough enthusiasm and money together to make it happen. But they wanted, they wanted to make this massive film version of Doctor Who that was going to be as big as Star Wars, and they, they realised that we can't make something as big as Star Wars. There was a story about that too, that Tom Maker in some interviews said something like, oh, if every fan just sent in £10, we could make it for that. And apparently fans started sending in money. He invented crowdsourcing. He, inv <laughs> he did. He invented crowdfunding. Yeah. And then he when spent that money on port. No, the, the BBC said it had to be sent back. They were very adamant that there was, yeah, they could not keep the money. That would explain the envelope shortage that year in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things I noticed uh, as we've gone through the Doctors is that each one, they really do sort of try and bring something new. And for me, the thing that Tom Baker really tries to bring to the role, uh, and he, he talks about this in, in things he's written in interviews where he felt because he spent most time with the character, like even the producers and writers would come and go from the show, but he was still there, that he tried to keep this the same throughout his run, is that he tried to make the Doctor seem quite weird and alien. And he does that by having, I think, two modes to Tom Baker's Doctor. Like, he's either really serious because the world's about to end or he greets everything with this kind of bemused, I don't know what's going on. I'll make a joke, even though you're pointing a knife at me. Like, that sort of crazy, my brain doesn't work the same way as a normal person kind of behaviour. Um, and I, I think, yeah, that alienness is really interesting. It's something that you've seen uh, Matt Smith, for example, I think, draws on that to yeah. an extent. Well. I, I always felt it was kind of like a drunken master approach to doctoring. <laughs> like, if you, if you fight like a spaz, then it lulls your enemies into a false sense of security. And if those enemies are paper mache, it happens doubly so. <laughs> this is a game you can play that I invented when the Harry Potter books came out, where you get one title and another title, and you say, can I put my first title into your second title? For example, can I put my Philosopher's Stone into your Goblet of Fire? <laughs> and it sounds vaguely sexual, so I've prepared a few. Uh, can I put my Helmic Regulator into your Seal of Rassilon? <laughs> That's a good one. Can I put my Sonic Screwdriver into your TARDIS? Bigger on the inside. Can I put my Seeds of Doom into your Leisure Hive? 
so you can play that forever. <laughs> also, I've just in my notes, I've, I've written a few names for potential Doctor Who's, and I wanted to see if you guys thought they were good. Okay. Uh, okay, Hugh Grant. He's had a go. Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd go with that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Don Cheadle. Yeah. All right, here's a, here's a curveball. Pope Benedict the Quitter. <laughs> well, he's got time on his hands. He's, yeah. more, a, he's more a master type, <laughs> yeah. I have thought. Or a Davros. Or a Valyard. <laughs> Joanna Lumley. Oh, yes. Yeah. Also right. has had a go and was very good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Uh, Helen Mirren. Yes. 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 Gary Boosie. He's also a master as yeah. he's falling apart. Yeah, yeah. Guy. He, maybe he'd make a good TARDIS because his mouth is bigger on the inside because <laughs> of his giant teeth. <laughs> uh, can we please thank our guests, Paul Verhoeven and Dave Cowan? Tom Baker was known as the Comedy Doctor. So, to discuss the themes of comedy in Doctor Who, who do we have with us, Petra? Our next splendid chaps are stand up comedians. One rose to fame on the wireless on Triple J and Fox FM and has appeared on telly in everything from Rove to The Footy Show to Celebrity Dog School. He's a co-creator, writer and star of Outland, the world's bestest ever sitcom about a gay science fiction fan club. <laughs> now available on DVD. And at the festival, he appears with Justin Hamilton in The Shell. The other chap has had multiple nominations for Best Comedy at the Edinburgh Fringe, written and performed for Channel 4's Skins, has a podcast called Lost Treasures of the Black Heart, and has provided analysis on several Doctor Who DVDs. Her comedy festival show is called Romance and Adventure. One of these chaps has worn a Dalek dress on television, and the other has actually been in a TARDIS. They're Adam Richard... And Josie Long. We always start off by, by asking, you know, how you got absorbed into the world of Doctor Who. Let's, let's start with you as the furthest away from the world of Doctor Who, Adam, and move towards it geographically. All right. So how did you first come um, to be a fan? There were two very deeply ginger British kids who lived in my street when I was, like, like four or five. And they made me watch Planet of the Spiders and I cried. <laughs> we and, ginger kids are cruel. <laughs> and then I had to watch it every week. But yeah, it used to be on once a week when I was a little, little, little kid. Before it went to the 6 o'clock or 6.30 when I used to watch it instead of the news because I didn't care about things. <laughs> it was important. I had a black and white television. I had no idea how bad the special effects were. <laughs> You know the Green Death is terrifying in black and white? <laughs> like, really terrifying. And it's the monochrome death, then. Yeah. And all that, the CSI stuff is actually more scary in black and white than it is in colour. And it looks like it works. <laughs> <laughs> and Josie, what was your first? And Sylvester McCoy. Oh! Yeah. I just know. No, I don't. I wish I did. Um, I um, just, that was what was, when I was maybe seven or eight, that was what was currently on television. Uh, it was the Sebastian McCoy Doctor, and, and therefore he's disproportionately wonderful in my eyes. <laughs> when Doctor Who came back again, what was so wonderful was that me and my little brother could watch it together and he could just completely fall in love with it. And then that meant that I was 
absolutely refusing to be cynical about it at any point. And I'm still at that point now with the new stuff. And it, it, whenever people on Twitter will be like, Doctor Who's still rubbish, I'll be like, oh, you don't really have the child's wonder and joy in your eyes anymore, do you? Um, what's that wrong with you? Uh, so, yeah, that's what now, I've been up to. I was going to say, this is a safe space. You know, <laughs> Spenden Chaps believes there is no wrong way to be a Doctor Who fan. Absolutely. So, so that's all good. Josie, you're on a couple of the DVDs, and it seems to be your role is to be taken in on the stories that one might call less good. Um, and... The one about the supermarket is incredible. <laughs> it's about a supermarket. I don't even know which one you're talking about. <laughs> the one about that frozen food store. Oh, you're talking about... Uh, Dragonfly? Dragonfly, Dragonfly. Dragonfly. Yeah. yeah. Ice World. Yeah. yeah, the one about the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now you pricks understand. <laughs> no, because in the UK there is that chain of, of supermarkets called Iceland. Yes! And it's really... And, it, that... and it's shit. <laughs> oh, it is. But the... Um, the ca- and also the, the catchphrase of it is Mum's gone to Iceland, which just sounds really like a euphemism for death. <laughs> well, Mum's gone to Iceland, I'm afraid. But um, also, Dragonfire wildly predates Iceland, which leads me to believe that they watched Doctor Who <gasps> and went, we can do this for the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but do they come to you and go, we're doing Nightmare in Eden, you're the person to come and defend it? Is that and how I that say, works? Well, I mean, to be fair on me, like... I was, they were like, oh, how did I even get it? I can't remember how I even managed to get it. I met the writers, I met a couple of writers somewhere and they were such lovely guys and we had such a lovely time. And then they basically got in touch and were like, there's a chance you could be on a Doctor Who DVD. And I was like, yes, please, thank you. I wasn't like, I was like, um, which story is it? <laughs> also, oh my, I know you said it earlier, but um, I got to go in, in the TARDIS and um, it was really good. <laughs> Did you, i got to ask, because like, it, it, you, on the DVD, like, I watched, I watched this on the Paradise, ta- uh, no, not Paradise House, it's on the, um, yeah, Paradise House DVD. Uh, you, you're sitting there and he's talking about it and, uh, and it's the actual set. And, but you're not sitting at the console, you're sitting, like, downstairs. Did you get to go upstairs and play with it? Yes, and I touched everything. Yeah! <laughs> Even the bicycle pump, did you get that a bit yeah. of a... Yeah. And um, also, then they took us around, uh, walk around the prop store, and there was, a, a, like, a jail cell full of Daleks <laughs> that they weren't currently using. But, but instead of just being in a cupboard, they were locked in a thing. They were in prison. Yeah, like, everyone involved had gone, I'm not going to take a risk with these guys. I'm going to take a risk. If they get out, oh, they'll infest the BBC. <laughs> Never shift them. Well, we're here to talk about comedy. Yes. So, really? Yeah, well, this is... OK, this is what I put to you. Yes. You, you work in the television industry. Sometimes. And I believe you, you, you know of the Doctor Whom. Yes. Um, so... I have heard tell of it, yes. co- Comedy... Comedy has always been an element of the show. What is your... Well, let's start off. What, what bits of comedy strikes the two of you as being great? What, what comes straight to mind as a really excellent use of comedy? My favourite... I like when the comedy just comes out of the situation. Like, it's still a good episode and terrifying and thrilling. And then there's a joke in the middle of it. Instead of the ones where, you know, it's all comedy. And it's, that, that annoys me because then I can't take it seriously. <laughs> But, like, my favourite one is Ark in Space, and it has that gorgeous joke when, when the doctor says, you know, oh, Harry's only qualified to, be, to work on sailors <laughs> as a doctor. <laughs> it's really funny. 
<laughs> That's a good line. Because also has a great structural gag in it, that the cliffhanger is a monster that in the second episode we discover is falling out of a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it looks like it's attacking yeah. someone. And it's actually it's falling, out cupboard, falling out of a cupboard. Which is kind of awesome yeah. on, on a structural kind of way. Joseph, like, but, it, you know, like, I like those kind of gags, like those just sort of throwaway ones. Like I was listening to the... I'm such a nerd. I was listening to one of the big Finnish stories recently and Tom Baker is so inherently funny that he was, um, he had to, one of the characters is called Dr. Foster. <laughs> and he just like, he gets really serious and goes, Dr. Foster, have you ever been to Gloucester in a shower of rain? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, he's mad. <laughs> you know, they did not write that line, I bet you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. they didn't. <laughs> I have to tell you something which is slightly irrelevant, but it's um, basically, um, for a while in the UK, you could text message to a home phone oh, yes. and Tom Baker would read it out. <laughs> right, yeah, yes, yes, thank you. So, you. so I would do it all the time. <laughs> because there was a home phone in my friend Leander's... I live in a share house and our home phone was in my friend Leander's room. And uh, what I would do, and also what was good was, you would text it, but there would be no kind of reliability to when it would come through. So <laughs> you could text in the middle of the day and it would come through at four in the morning. And oh, if you would text at three in the morning, it would come through quite reliably at three in the morning because I guess there's no one else using it. I don't really understand these things. And um, so I would send all kinds of text messages basically saying... This is the doctor. And the best one I ever said was, I, Tom Baker, say fuck you. <laughs> well, it was, what was happening is you just pick up the phone and it would be text message received and then it would be, the doctor is calling you. Like, oh, I can't tell you how exciting it is to have the doctor saying whatever you want at your fingertips. <laughs> At three in the morning, any night of the week, to your friend who's getting increasingly distraught, can't leave the phone off the hook. Because it's just going to be like... All night, can't leave the phone on the hook. Put the phone on the hook, the doctor can come calling at any time. Have you watched the Tom Baker Years video? where basically the premise was they just sat him down and showed him a whole bunch of clips of episodes and he, he pretty much for two and a half hours just goes, oh, yes, there's Wanda, she was lovely. We drank at the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. And it's just a reminiscences of all the pubs that they went to on location. <laughs> It's a famous, famous drinker. Yeah, it's the best video ever. <laughs> well, we, we should probably talk about his period of Doctor Who because that, that really was when there was lots of comedy in it, even from when he first started. Like, he comes out and he does, uh, he does that gag where he's, like, trying on different costumes because he doesn't know what he wants to wear. Yeah. And he goes in and out of the TARDIS, like, comes dressed as a, a Viking um, and stuff like that. Well, I wanted to mention, because something that you just said out of before, because mm. I, I was watching Creature of the Pit, which is one of the ones on our, on our little homework list. We have a homework list, because that's the yes. kind of list I just, we I have. just want to apologise <laughs> for everyone who watched Creature from the yeah. Pit on uh, our no, recommendation. No, hang on, Come on, uh, it's, got the, it's got the infamous fellatio scene. Yeah. <laughs> now, I need to point out, usually in the middle of the show, we, we have a break and people from the audience leave us messages. Now, clearly we haven't done that for this show, but uh, after our comments earlier in the show, uh, I had some beamed to my head. And basically, <laughs> it was pointed out that we were kind of mocking the space disco era of 
of Tom Baker. And one of the great things about Doctor Who is that every part of Doctor Who is somebody's favourite part of Doctor Who. Yeah, true. Yeah. And there were four of us on stage basically laying into this area and we didn't actually have anyone defending it. And, and let's I just call him Lee Zed said that <laughs> it, it was actually one of his... It's, he's actually... What we're saying is his name's LZ and he's, he's somewhere in the second half of the phone directory. <laughs> yeah. Saying. Uh, and he just pointed out that, that you know, uh, that, that is one of his favourite periods and, and it was kind of, yeah, probably unfair of us to, to lay true. into it, no matter how terrible it is. And I don't, I don't hate... <laughs> I don't hate that era. I don't. I, I was really surprised watching stuff from that season. How good some of it was. Now, some I don't know. We we had a discussion about this on Twitter, but I was watching the Horns of Naimon. <gasps> and see, it's divided the audience already. <laughs> Just the name of the story. So this is, it's a story. You know, it's basically the story of the Minotaur in space, yes. uh, with where the Doctor goes off and disappears for a while, and Romana gets to be the Doctor. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of terrible stuff. Does he go missing because they've got Graham Crowd and eating all of the scenery? He does eat all the scenery. <laughs> I just didn't hate it. I just kind of was into it. Whereas I've never managed to actually get to the end of it. It's, yeah. it's one of the few stories really? I've never actually got to the end. And this discussion on Twitter was basically, it, it sort of showed up about why a story's bad. A lot of it was, was what you were talking about with humour, that uh, I can defend Time and the Rani uh, because it's got a great big brain. And, and it looks like Dynasty. But and, it's, you know... And, and it has Bonnie Langford's scream, which is spectacular. And it has Kodamara saying, leave the girl, it's the man I want. <laughs> which and, is, and it yeah. also has Kodamara pretending to be Bonnie Langford. I know, it's awesome. <laughs> so clearly it's one of the best stories ever. No, but, that, but the point I was making was that it's that whole thing about humour, and exactly what you were saying is that when... I mean, this is throughout the series, but particularly when Tom Baker, when there's a joke that sounds to me like it's the Doctor... Like, yeah. like if he says, for example, in, in City of Death, he goes, you're a beautiful woman, probably. You know, <laughs> that feels real to me. Yeah. When in Creature from the Pit, he falls into a pit, then brings out a book called How to Climb Everest and goes, oh, it's in Tibetan, and then brings out a book called How to Read Tibetan, and it's like, oh, just hurry up. <laughs> and to me, that's Tom Baker or the writer or someone on crew thinking, <laughs> this is hilarious. Um, that's not from the character. So in Time yeah. of the Rani, if the Doctor wants to play spoons with a bit of computer, I kind of believe that. Like, that, yeah. that feels to me what the Doctor would do. It's not to me Sylvester McCoy going, this would be a bit funny. <laughs> <laughs> Even odds. though he's very good at the spoon. He's very good at the spoon. He's very good. I, I'm really sad that Sylvester McCoy never got to put a ferret down his trousers on the show. Because <laughs> that would have been hilarious. That was threatened the entire time. It, it could have been a space ferret. That would have been fine. Why didn't he put, like, Helen A's little pet oh, down Oh, Fifi, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Actually, that, that's another form of satire shows up, I mean, you know, throughout Doctor Who, but in the, in the McCoy era in particular, there's that mm, thing that they were, they were nodding towards 2000 AD. Uh, it was comic books that were taking a lot of inspiration from at the time. So you start yeah, getting yeah. these quite satirical episodes. And it's, it's kind of, I think, if anyone was watching at the time, they would have gotten in trouble for quite a lot of what they were doing. <laughs> but luckily, nobody was. Oh, well, so, um, yes, yeah, so it was kind of going out to a very quiet audience who didn't see the kind of Thatcherite comments they were making <laughs> on a kids' program. There was, I mean, the, this, this satirical stuff had been around for a while, though. Like, the, a lot of Ambassadors of Death is, is quite satirical about the, you know, the... The, what do you call it? The establishment at the time and yeah. the way that, you know, being in power. It's not very funny, though, <laughs> Ambassador. <laughs> also, right, it's I've, kind of hilarious. I've been really excited just recently in the last few years, firstly for um, subtle, good, positive, uh, non-heteronormative quips. <laughs> like, my best favourite quip of the last sort of five years of Doctor Who was um, when um, uh, the 
greatest, coolest uh, girl in the Donna? world. Amy? No, the greatest, coolest girl in the world. Amy Pond. Um, <laughs> how do you not think she's the greatest, coolest girl in the world? Well, you don't think she's the greatest, coolest girl in the world? Oh, you do? Oh, good. But you're, she doesn't. You're about to start a fight, aren't you, Josie? I was like, are you not watching it? <laughs> anyway, when uh, she gets married and then uh, he goes, Miss, Mrs, Mr. Pond, Mr. Pond to her. And he's like, that's not how it's done. And he just kind of goes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. that's how it should be done. <laughs> Maybe you should think about your naming system, Airplanes. <laughs> And it's just so subtle and it's funny, but it's just enough just to be that tiny bit subversive, just so that children watching it might be like, oh yeah, she question things. <laughs> not, just yeah. not just children, but like, as adults, we're already questioning things because we're all cool, but like, as children. <laughs> Actually, it's weird because I'd written a note here for, there's, a, there's one of my favourite jokes, is uh, Sarah Jane Smith in The Time Warrior, her very first story. She's trying to convince that these, these women don't have to be servants to the, you know, the, the warlord in the in the Middle Ages, you know, castle. And she goes, it's like you're still living in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Which is a brilliant joke. Is that the one she makes to Dot Cotton? Yeah, she does, to Dot Cotton. Yeah. Dot Cotton's in the timeline. That woman's hundreds of years old. It's amazing. Yeah, but Dot Cotton look, looking not like a... Well, it was the 70s. She wasn't that old yet. She looks about like 55 then. <laughs> yeah, now she's 212. We've, we've kind of crept into a UK soap opera podcast. All of a sudden. <laughs> I'm totally lost. <laughs> but I was thinking as well about like satire and even really, really recently, like the last one that I watched before I left, which is about uh, people's consciousness being uploaded onto Wi-Fi. Oh, Very yeah. topical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the baddies in that are in the Shard and they're sort of international rich finance conglomerates and stuff. And it's kind of like they're being... I don't know, they're like making a nod to the fact that the financial crisis has ruined everybody and now the government are always the baddies and are kind of like, we hate the Conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, yeah, it's something that's been really kept on in a really good way. It's a lot more subtle than, say, the Happiness Patrol, perhaps. <laughs> well, Celia Embry has a line in that episode, and also, A, Celia Embry. Yeah. I love her. It's Miss Babs. But Celia Embry has this line which says, no one loves cattle more than Burger King. Which is quite an astonishingly, you know, pithy kind of comment yeah. for something Doctor Who to be putting, you know, into the minds of us, our, our poor innocent children. I liked all the satire <laughs> of um, the, is it World War Three and the other one, the Aliens of London? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that whole implication that you just need to freak some people out over here with a bit of sleight of hand to completely usurp a government, do whatever you want, or, yeah. or to freak out an entire nation, which kind of happened. In Iraq. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, they went, oh, yeah, there's weapons. There's heaps of weapons. Let's invade. <laughs> and they, they actually, Some other people bombed us, but let's invade them. <laughs> they actually used the line, uh, massive weapons of destruction yeah, yeah, yeah. in the episode. And you're like, oh, I if see you what read, you're getting at. Um, if you read The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein, it's just a picture book of that episode. <laughs> graphic novel. Graphic novel. I assume I haven't read it, but, you know, I understand. I get the gist. It's, uh, I love a picture book. Is it a pop-up? <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, that'd be a shock, wouldn't it? Oh! <laughs> My first Naomi Klein. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, sadly, we're running out of time. We are, really? We are already. We've already running out of time. Run out. We, we talk too much. Um, so we're going to have to sadly start wrapping up. Was there anything oh. else, though, that, that you want to particularly... I, I was, was going to say, that the show, when it gets self-referential, I think, is sometimes when it goes a bit over the top. And that's something that they've started doing a lot more in the modern series. But even, again, this is something that I noticed in The Horns of Nymon. Like, the, the, the start, when they get... <laughs> what are you, Nymon? <laughs> Come on, no. When, 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 when at the start, when the TARDIS is broken down uh, and the Doctor and Romana are just having a chat in the TARDIS, um, he, he says, oh, what could possibly go wrong? And Romana says, don't say that. And, <laughs> and he says, oh, yeah. and, then, and then something goes wrong. And then he says it again later. And he says, you know, every time I say what could possibly go wrong, something goes wrong. And then it happens again. <laughs> and he's like, well, this is just commenting on the nature of the drama that you're in. <laughs> You're breaking... Doctor Who's breaking the fourth wall? This is weird! <laughs> there, there's a weird kind of teetering element of that, though, isn't it? Because there's a, there's a scene in... Is it... Um, I'm not saying Possible Planet. There's a bit where the Doctor and Rose come out of the TARDIS. He goes, oh, well, I think it's be dangerous. She goes, well, we could just get back in and leave. And then they both laugh at each other. And, go, oh. <laughs> and that could go either way. You could either find that charming or really annoying. I think yeah. depending on, yeah, your, your thoughts. Yeah, I vacillate on that. Because when the gag is good... Like when it's, oh, yeah, that's a great gag. And again, I think it's when the Doctor is clearly making a gag in the situation. And Tom Baker's early years are very much like that all mm. the time. Like he's, he's always very funny. He's making quips all the time. And Sylvester McCoy has a few good lines as well. Like one of my favourite exchanges is in Remembrance of the Daleks when he and Ace are driving in the truck and he's explaining who the Daleks are and he goes, oh, left here. And she goes, when were they left here? So like, no, turn left here. <laughs> oh, well, if you just explain... what they... And then they go through a tunnel and it goes dark and then when they come out of the tunnel somehow they've switched seats. <laughs> and Ace is just like, whoa, she's looking at herself going, how did that even... And it's hilarious, but it's exposition at the same time. And just like, that's just what he's like now. <laughs> I like at the end of that story when he starts, you know, when he's basically destroying all the Daleks and carrying on and screaming, and starts banging on about endless rice pudding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Conquering a whole universe, unlimited rice pudding, etc. <laughs> and Davros funny. is like, oh, you just keep expecting Davros to go, don't, don't make fun of me. <laughs> there was something else I wanted to bring up about humour. I did a little bit of research and found uh, there's a story that didn't get made for season six, which is one of the Troughton seasons. Oh, is that the, the men and women? The yeah, women it was called Prison in Space. I've listened to the one they did for well, Big Finn. It's called Prison thing. in Space. Prison yeah, in yeah. Space. This is, this is the, the planet the, of women. This is the theme. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's, it's crazy than that, Josie. It's about a, a planet where women are in charge. Oh, that wouldn't work. And Chairman Babs. I'm so tired of life. <laughs> Wasn't the writer of that who wrote the two Ronnies? It was it was Dick Sharp. Oh, but this is the thing—the worm that turned. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. This thing, the worm that turned showed up on the on the two Ronnies. It's the same plot. It's basically Chairman Babs runs this dictatorship. She's uh, attracted to to the Doctor, but of course she's ugly. <laughs> Hilarious and, and fat. And Zoe, <laughs> Zoe gets, um, you know, basically gets uh, hypnotised into believing that women have equal rights. And the Doctor only manages to... to this, is, this is all for reals, people. I'm not making any of this up. The Doctor only breaks her conditioning by giving her a good smack bottom at the end of the episode. Now, this was so close to being filmed that when someone at the BBC said, oh, my God, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> and cancelled it, the space pirates had to use the same sets because they were already being built. <laughs> So you know, they had to work out how to make a story. They said, here's some sets. What would you do with those? <laughs> I love the idea that the writer went, 
just give me the script. I'll, uh, I'll use that later. Don't worry. I'll use that. Uh, two Ronnies. Uh, turns out, get away with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fine. But Doctor Who being Doctor Who, like you say, it got novelised and then Big Finish recently did an audio production and every review it's I found awful. online... Well, every review I said, what a wonderfully produced piece of sexist garbage they said. <laughs> Oh, it some... is hilarious because they've just gone, well, we're not going to pull any punches. We'll just do it as it, as it was meant to be. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, I think realistically they did it as it was never meant to be. Well, no. Yeah. Because it was never meant. Don't make that. <laughs> I think watching The Worm That Turned was detrimental to me as a child. Really? Well, because it, it goes to you like, look, isn't this stupid and funny? Women will never have... Being charged never be in charge. And then there's a bloody sketch where they do nothing but puns, and at the end of it, you're very confused. Isn't it? <laughs> you're younger, you're and they sing again. a bawdy song. <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, we have no more time to talk about comedy in Doctor Who, but I think we've all learned something. <laughs> Maybe. Um, will you please, please thank our guests, Adam Richard and Josie Long. <laughs> Time for prizes! Yay! You have the chance, if you're lucky, to win a copy of Doctor Who The Legacy Collection. Ooh! Ooh it's got Sharda, the one they put together for the video. Uh, as well as an awesome documentary, More Than 30 Years in the TARDIS, which if you haven't seen that, it is really, really good. Sharda, the one they saved all the money for and then didn't get to make, which is why Horns of Nymon looks terrible. <laughs> Now, this is thanks to the good people at BBC on DVD. We also have one of these to give away to you, the listener, whose head I'm currently in. Hello. If you would like to win a copy of Doctor Who The Legacy Collection, all you have to do is go to our website, spendedchaps.com, find the post that this episode is connected to, and leave a comment. Good, bad, indifferent, we don't care. Leave a comment, and you will go into the virtual draw to win this. And do it before May the 19th, let's which is when our it. next major episode will be. Oh, yes. So let's find out who's going to win. Adam, would you mind drawing this? This is for the listener at home who's winning the DVD of Ambassadors of Death from our last episode, Three Slash Family. Uh, Stephen Coppins. Oh, Stephen Coppins. You will be getting a copy of Ambassadors of Death. Yay! Yay! We have two episodes coming up in May. One is on May the 4th, when we'll be talking about Doctor Who and oh, books yeah, yeah. at Northcote uh, <laughs> Library. And the, the on after that will be our episode about the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, uh, and the theme of fear in Doctor Who. Ooh. Now, we are a podcast that has homework, because you asked for it, people. Um, Petra, would you mind telling us what the homework is for the five-slash-fear episode of Splendid Chaps? If you've never seen Peter Davison's era before, we have chosen Earthshock, Enlightenment, and the case of Androzani. For the subject of fear, we suggest Planet of the Spiders, The Ark in Space, Snake Dance, Ghost Light, and Blink. Yay! And can I say, if you've never seen any of those Davison stories, I'm so jealous of you. I wish I could see them all again for the first time. They're so good. Yes! So good! <laughs> so we've plugged Northcote, we've plugged Five, uh, which we will announce the location soon, but Northcote Library is on sale, 10 bucks all tickets. It's yes. Cheap. Lawrence Lunn will be um, our performance guest, so it's Amazing. definitely worth Yeah. So to finish, we always finish with a song. This song needs a little bit of explanation. Um, does anyone here remember Dr. Pooh? No, no. Some people are going, I think so. Wasn't that a crap joke we told in the playground when we were six? <laughs> well, yes it was, Ben, but it was also something else. It was a radio serial on Double J, as it was back then. They only could afford two Js at the time. Uh, they were on AM. Remember that? And 
Uh, it was part of Doug Mulray's show, just to make it even classier. I'm really sorry to interrupt, but... So, it used to be called Double J, and now it's called Triple J. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is adorable. Originally, <laughs> I'm hoping that... Did it start out and it was just J? It was just one person at home in their house with a single J, thinking one day... And when are they going to move to 4J? <laughs> that's, that's when they put it in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm really sorry to interrupt. <laughs> So right. Doctor Pooh was a comedy serial. It followed. It was like a Captain Kremen slash goons kind of thing. It was on. It was two minutes every day. Uh, over four hundred episodes were made from June nineteen seventy nine to January nineteen eighty one. Uh, it was written and performed. It was created by Lance Curtis, Jeff Kelso, Steve Johnson, Ken Matthews. Doctor Pooh travelled in a turtus, which was a dunny, <laughs> with his beautiful but dim companion Dana Sock and Dennis a denim cat. Now. It, to give you an idea of the kind of thing it was, uh, in the first album that was released from it, which is called Knees Ahoy, uh, the plot involved Captain Nemos, who had built a cardboard submarine and was powering it by 10,000 people he'd kidnapped and forced them to put their feet through the bottom to walk along the ocean bed. John, you don't mean... Yes, 20,000 legs under the sea! <laughs> Now, that's exactly the kind of jokes you got in Doctor Pooh. <laughs> that gives you an idea. So, but there was another album they brought out. Uh, Doctor Pooh and the Psychic Koalas recorded an album in 1981 with music composed and produced by Kristen Barker, who at the same time was forming a new band called Air Supply. <laughs> One of those worked out better for him. Now, Doctor Pooh and the Psychic Koalas album was released in 1985 as a posthumous tribute to Lance Curtis. And the title track on that album was called The Universe is Big. Now, we'd like to perform The Universe is Big for you now, uh, sung by our own Petra Elliott, but also backed up by the wonderful Caleb Garfinkel and Bryce Clark. And uh, in the words of the First Doctor, thank, thank you. you. It's, it's good. Keep warm. <laughs>
whales and so on. You get the general idea. There's no way they'd outweigh the universe on a universal scale. But look, it's silly to make comparisons, especially nonsensical ones like that. They really don't matter at all. So shut your gum and accept the fact that the universe is not smaller than it all. The universe is big. It's the biggest thing there is. The universe is big. It really is a whopper. The universe is big. And it's damn good value. been listening to Splendid Chats. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendid Chats, Dave Callan, Paul Verhoeven, Adam Richard and Josie Long. Our band, the Time Lads, were Caleb Garfinkel and Bryce Clark. Thanks to Richard McKenzie and Scott Pollard for the Dalek. Your hosts were Ben McKenzie and John Richards. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. 
You can find us at SplendorChaps.com and as Splendid Chaps on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Petra Elliott. Until next time, thank you. It's good. Keep warm.